Welcome to the April 11th, 2019 meeting of the Science Fiction Club. And we have a, a really good turnout this time. So, and I have a good book to talk about, and I hope other people have good books or bad books, as the case may be. So, whoever wants to just jump in, we'll get started. Okay, let me jump in then. Um, I wanted to tell you about a book called Everything Matters by Ron Curry. I downloaded this from Visibility, the Australian talking book service, and I haven't really seen it elsewhere. It's not on Bard, but it's an audio book, and apparently the author is American, and most of the scenes take place in America, so I'm not sure why it was only available from Australia, but in any case, it is about a guy by the name of Junior, who lives in the state of Maine, who as soon as he is born, in fact, even before he was born, he has a voice that talks to him in his head. Even when he was in the womb, it was talking to him. And in fact, it was warning him that he might not uh, get born alive because he had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. But he does survive being born. And then... The voice tells him he knows this from the very first, even from before he was born, that when he is 36 years old, and that will be in about June of 2010, uh, his life and everybody else's life on Earth is going to come to an end because a giant comet is going to slam into the Earth, wiping out pretty much 93, I think this figure was 93% of all species on Earth, and one of the extinct ones will be humans. And he, the voice tells him this, and he gets to really trust this voice because the voice tells him other things too, and they all come true. So from his very birth, he knows that he's not going to live past the age of 36 and nobody else is going to live past June of 2010 either. As he gets older, um, as he's a little boy, his brother, his big brother is always tormenting him. And eventually the brother becomes a drug addict and then gets cured of his addiction and becomes a baseball player. But the drug addiction causes something to go wrong in his brain. So he has a, uh, a mentally deficient baseball player. Uh, he himself, Junior, is the main character. Um, goes to school and ends up in um, the gifted program because he is a super brain. Um, when he's in high school and in the gifted program, he me- he meets another gifted student named Amy, who becomes his girlfriend throughout the rest of the story. Although it's on and off, there was one point where he made the mistake of telling her about how he knows that the comet is going to slam into Earth when he's 36 years old and wipe out everybody. And she ends up um, thinking he is a complete nutcase and ends up breaking up with him because of that. Although the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was when he gets involved with a disabled veteran who is upset about the Veterans Administration and wants to go to a Social Security building in his wheelchair uh, full of carrying a bomb with him and blow himself up and the building. When he tells Amy, his girlfriend, about that, that's when she really decides he's a nutcase and breaks up with him. Although they end up getting back together and, but I'm not sure they get back together in what you would call the timeline that he's in, because as things progress, things get crazier and crazier. Things happen that turn out not to have happened. And then other things happen instead. And it really gets confusing for a while until really right at the end of the book, you learn that there are 
parallel timelines going on where oh. different things happen in various timelines and they are constantly splitting off. But in any case, his father ends up with lung cancer, by the way, and dies. And uh, various other horrible things happen. But the, where the title comes from is knowing that the human life, all human life is going to come to an end when he is 36 years old. He just doesn't quite feel like anything that he does matters. It just doesn't matter to him because it's all going to end anyway. And that's the one thing he trusts that voice in his head so well, except for that one thing, the voice tells him that everything matters. And he will someday learn why everything matters. And he matters and everything he does matters. But he continues to feel like nothing really matters because it's all just going to come to an end. Um, as I said, as the story progresses, things get more and more confused because you don't really realize that it's alternate timelines are going on. Um, toward the end, um, the government realizes that the comet is coming. And uh, by the way, President Mike Huckabee comes on television and announces that the comet is coming and that everybody is going to be killed. Um, I, he's the only president that's mentioned, but I think there might have been several other presidents too because, like I said, different timelines. Um, but um, when that announcement is made on the television, Junior sees it from inside a, on a television inside a restaurant, I believe. And everybody jumps up and everybody's on the sidewalk pulling out their cell phones and calling somebody and so on. But in any case, the um, government offers, well, they start mounting a project to immigrate to another solar system. And, well, how do they have the technology to go on star traveling? And it's not even 2010 yet. But um, I suppose in one timeline or another, they may have developed the technology possible, and they're allowing people to apply to immigrate. Of course, they're not going to be able to take everybody, but um, they will look at the applications and let certain people immigrate. Um, Amy and Junior end up very close to the end in a kind of a cabin out in a wilderness where they meet another guy who has decided that he's going to commit suicide by comet. He's not even going to try to immigrate. Um, they hang around with him for quite some time until I think he actually ends up being bitten by rattlesnakes and doesn't quite make it to the comet. But they take off from there. Amy decides she's going to immigrate. She, um, Junior doesn't want to immigrate. Amy does. She goes to one of the places where you apply for immigration. And about the time she gets there, a guy with a suicide bomb vest rushes in and blows himself up and kills her. Um, yeah, she's, she's it's the whole scene is to told from her point of view at that time where she's describing him coming in and she says she feels the heat. She feels the motion of being pushed away from where the heat is and she feels an instant of extreme pain and then nothing. And she says, I'd like to tell you what it's like to be dead, but it's like nothing. <laughs> but in any case, even though she is killed by the suicide bomber, she shows up again later anyway. Um, but uh, right at the end, it the timelines are switching like crazy at the end. And there's Junior lying on a in a meadow out in the countryside of Maine, looking up at the sky, waiting for the comet to hit. And then there he is again. In right in the middle of the city, 
and he sees people start running because the comet is here. They're running. The He hears cars crash. He hears gunshots. And then, well, the comet's there. And then he finds himself in another place. And that's when the voice, the voice in his head, suddenly offers him a choice and says, oh, you can stay here and be wiped out by the comet if you want. But there are many, many other timelines where the comet doesn't even show up. And where Amy lives, where Amy dies, where your father doesn't get lung cancer after all, uh, where he dies even earlier than he did in your memory, where your mother does this, or whether there are timelines where you weren't even born because you were strangled by your umbilical cord in the womb. And you get the choice, choose your timeline. And um, the story kind of ends with, I'm not really sure what choice he makes, but it's, I think the date is June 10th or something like that, 2010. And the earth is about to be wiped out and it comes to an end. And the voice reassures him again, every choice you make, everything you do matter. Now, I thought it was a really good book. I thought it was very interesting. But there's one thing that really bothers me. Never, anywhere in the whole book, is there an explanation of who or what that voice in his head is. Wow. Wow, it's Schrodinger. Of course. (laughs) But, well, there you go. It's Everything Matters by... Um, Ron Curry, C-U-R-R-I-E. And the only place I know to get it in accessible format is the Australian Visibility Library. So there you have it. You don't know if it's on um, Audible? I'm checking right now, I, actually. How's the I narration? don't know about Audible. I, I don't fool with Audible, so I really don't know whether it's there or not. Well, while you're checking for Audible, let me How's go. the narration on that? Oh, very good narrator. I oh, okay. don't remember who narrates it, but it, it he has a very calm, surreal-like voice. How do you access that library? Yeah, you'd need that for a book like that. Yeah, you would. That is, is so gloomy. I just, no, no, no. Right. I hope, I, I I hope, he, like time, I hope he chose a timeline where Huckabee, Huckabee wasn't president or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. Um, it is not inaudible. Sorry. I, I want to ask I've, I've, I read two books. Can I can I just interrupt for a moment? I want to ask Roger how you access that library. Is it, can anyone go in there? Do you need to belong you, to it or something? Or what? Uh, you you have to apply. It's uh, they're under a similar law that the United States is. You have to have a disability. And by the way, they will accept um, registration with um, the NLS as proof of disability. But you have to go to the website. This. V-I-S-A A-B-I-L-I-T-Y dot A-U dot com I think yeah, I'll, 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 put, I'll post I'll post the subscription information I think I've got it so. okay good cool. yeah put it up on the SF club list right right that's and, and cool because, uh, and, and, they might have other books there that are and, and if I forget in my dotage one of y'all remind me but I'll, I'll try to remember to do that to, to do that so Oh, right. Alan, you can't be in your dotage yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I I actually read two books this uh, this month, uh, and the first one some of you may have read, and I figured I'd go right after Roger because you know his book was you know kind of one of these disaster books. This is a disaster book, but it was interesting because it had several different groups of people and they were all doing different things, but they were all trying to live after, uh, after the, uh, was it the, well, there was a, uh, oh, it was a, a sun, a sunspot thing, you know, uh, EM, EM, uh, EMS. EMP. What's the name of the book? What's the name of the book? The, well, the name of the book is Aftermath, and it's by Charles Sheffield. 
And you go all now, Charles Sheffield. Um, yeah. And it's Aftermath by Charles Sheffield. was very good. Um, I enjoyed it because it had the, the three or four different groups of people, and they were all trying to accomplish different things to survive after the EMP. And um, I won't go into all the details because I, I don't think I need to, but... Uh, I enjoyed it because, well, Sheffield is a good writer, for one thing. And also, um, it just, the characters were interesting. And that, for me, is, is the measure of a good book. If I, if I can, um, you know, get into the characters, if, if there's something about the characters that I really like, then I can, you know, safely say that I... I will like the book. So it's a longy, you know, it's a, it's a long book, but it's very good. And I think you guys would enjoy it. And so uh, I also started the second book in the series, which is called Starfire. And I didn't get through it because it got too political for me. Um, it got very political. And I just, I, I just kind of, it, it just kind of shut me down, so I didn't re read the rest of it. But the second book I read was James Rollins' latest. Now, Rollins usually writes thrillers, but this has a really good science fiction element in it, which is the development of AI. And it's really quite scary, if you want to know the truth. Um, it's all about how uh, the people, the, you know, the main characters who are, are part of the um, Sigma group are trying to prevent an AI uh, from taking over the world. Essentially, that's what's going on. And... They're doing it by creating their own AI who is, um, you know, more amenable to working with humans and so forth. So it it showcases how to train an AI and how to control an AI. And it's, as I say, it's really kind of scary um, because if you don't watch yourself and we, we develop all this AI... Uh, artificial intelligence, uh, we, we may be up a creek with no paddle. <laughs> so it was, it was very interesting. So as I say, the two books I read were Aftermath by Charles Sheffield and Crucible by James Rollins. Mm -hmm. So those are my two books. Okay. And they're both on Bard. Oh, yes. I was just going to ask you that. Okay. Martin, do you have something that isn't disaster? Were you asking me? Yeah. Okay, well, I read Aurora by Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh-oh. Has anyone read it or familiar yeah. I think it's that's the, that's the one where they're in that sh uh, ship, maybe, and exactly. they're traveling to another thing. Yeah, right. right. And it, it's it's a it's a pretty long book. It's seventeen hours or so, and they're in a starship. They've been traveling for centuries, and they in the ship they created all kinds of environments that appeared on Earth. They have the pampas and the rainforest and Nova Scotia, and then, you know hmm. the environment has their own animals and everything and um the main character is, is a girl named i think her name is priya and her father and her mother whose name is debbie who's an engineer on the ship and the book starts out when when she and her father when she's quite young and she and her father were sailing on a on a, a sort of like an ocean pond in their area of the ship where they live and was describing how they're sailing and then the ship and the sail the, the wind blows the sail over you know like a typical thing on any any ocean and then once they get back you you begin to get into learning that actually they they're on this ship and the ship eventually gets to their the, to their destination 
which I think is a moon of a planet, and the moon's called Aurora, and they and they start settling it, and it, it, it's, it has a lot of, you know, pretty good features. It has open, it's very windy and everything, and they've started to, you know, develop it, build structures and everything, when suddenly the people begin to die, and they find out that there's some alien bacteria or, or virus that, that, that affects the people and kills them. So they decide, decide to abandon the settlement and go back to the ship. And then there's a discussion, or actually a discussion about what they're going to do. There's another planet they want to go to and others, including the, the main character wants to return to Earth. And uh, there's quite a bit of conflict, quite a few people are killed. And in the meantime, all during the narration of the ship, actually the whole thing is narrated by the ship's artificial intelligence. And they finally come to a decision uh, after much bloodshed and much uh, civil strife that those who want to remain in that solar system can do so, and the remainder can go back to Earth, which will take hundreds of years to go back. And that, and that, and so it describes a lot how they're streamlining the ship to try to get back. And then they found out from Earth that there's a way of putting everyone into suspended animation for to, to cover the hundreds of years that it would take them to get back. And the ship takes over uh, the, the handling of the ship uh, of the ship and, and actually narrates what's going on, the artificial intelligence of the ship. And when they get close to the solar system, they find that they're going at a tremendous rate of speed, and the problem is to try to slow themselves down enough, you know, orbit the Earth. And um, the, the, on Earth themselves, they've been in contact with Earth, and they had some sort of, of, of uh, ray that was going to help slow them down, but they put it up, they started it much too late, so they had to actually go around the universe, go in, in, through the sun and out again, and then and, and go among the other planets to get help from their gravity fields to slow the ship down. And finally, when they're running, when they get down to a certain speed, they're able, those, they're able to all leave the ship except, I think, one or two that stays on. And, and of course, the, intel, the, the artificial intelligence itself, and they, and they go down to Earth, they land in the ocean, and then it describes the difficulties of adapting to life on Earth after... You know, after being away and living on an artificial ship and then on a, on a world with different gravity, many of them find it very difficult to adapt to Earth again. And towards the very end, uh, the main character, Priya, I think her name was, um, is really, you know, she, she's afraid to go out and all that. And then she meets these, these surfers on a beach there and they lure her into the ocean. She begins to go find the, the joy of the ocean. She almost drowns a couple of times and she finally, I guess, acclimatizes herself to li living back, back on Earth. So that's basically the narrative. It's very complex. There's a lot of lot of scientific data. That's Robinson. Yeah, especially with the artificial intelligence and shit, talking and, you know, analyzing different things. But it, it, it was a rather interesting book. I, I would recommend it. Okay. Yeah. This is Ginny. Should I go next? Sure. Why not? Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm new to the group. Um, this is, um, the book is called Providence by Carolyn Kepniff. And um, this is a book that is kind of fits into a number of categories. I would say that Carolyn, not known for her science fiction, she has um, some two interesting books that are completely, you know, contemporary. Um, this book is contemporary right here, right now. And Carrie, Carolyn's, I think, very good at creating characters that are interesting and you uh, begin to bond with. And um, then, you know, the premise of the book, the main character is John. And John is kind of, um, it starts out in middle school. And he's kind of a little bit of... Um, He's not, you know, he's not really in the swim a little bit. He's, he takes an alternate route home to avoid being picked on by bullies. One of his um, favorite friends, the hamster. He, um, but he's a he's a great kid. He's just a little eccentric, and uh, he has um, a crush on um, one of the more, um, you know, I guess socially with it, 
kids, and she kind of likes him too. So the characters as they're set up are, Carolyn, I think, gives a lot of good uh, insights, middle school society, and uh, she keeps you turning pages. She's unusual. I think Stephen King said she was hypnotic and riveting, and I would, she's pretty good. Uh, what happens here is John is um, abducted, it turns out later, by a substitute teacher that everyone thought was kind of creepy and weird. John is abducted. He just simply vanishes one day, and no one, you know, knows where he is. There's a search party, um, but no one can find him. And so four years goes by, and, um, you know, little by little, this story unfolds. She doesn't tell you everything all at once. It's told from the point of view of different characters. She, um, he turns up. He wakes up. The author tells you, from his point of view, he is significantly changed. He's kind of like um, glamorous and strong. And what he finds by the side of um, this basement where he's come to uh, is a book, um, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, The Dunwich Horror. And there's just a note in the back, we did a lot of good work. And that's a, a note left him by the abductor who hasn't been discovered at this point. So, um, you don't know what's going to happen all along. You're kind of held in suspense. It's really a thriller, a love story, and kind of supernatural slash science fiction. So, I'm not a great, I mean, I haven't really read a lot of H.P. Lovecraft, but it's all kind of a subtext in the book. It's it, This is kind of, um, has something to do with a, a H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, the person who abducted him is obsessed by that, and John also likes H.P. Lovecraft. And so um, then what happens after he returns? He returns back to, you know, his mom and dad, and he's significantly different. And at first it seems to be a wonderful thing. You know, he's stronger. He's, um, you know, what we consider handsome. And then it starts to appear that he's changed in some ways that aren't so good. And I don't want to give away the book. But he's having effects on people, and, you know, he doesn't know what to do. You know, uh, he, he becomes kind of a recluse because these effects are beyond his control, and he's trying to sort everything out. Meantime, he wants to maintain a relationship with uh, Chloe, who um, is off and on available. And, um, <clears throat> you know, meantime, there's a wonderful character, I think, um, who's an old detective who's just kind of wants to figure out what happened. He was abducted. He came back. What happened in the meantime? And then there's all these events that seem to be related to John, but are just mysterious. Like people will drop dead. John's in the room, but what's going on? So, it, you know, it's, it, it's um, an interesting book. Um, I was very surprised to see Carolyn Kepnes uh, write something in the science fiction supernatural vein. But I really enjoyed the book, and I recommend it. And that's it. What was, the, I, what was the science fiction element in it, basically? The science fiction element <clears throat> is, uh, let me think. The science, okay, supernatural slash science fiction. The science fiction element, it is John, the person who was abducted, is kind of um, revamped by a scientist, Okay. So that he becomes transformed, but also significantly changed. And um, this is kind of a, a, you know, he's known for being a brilliant advanced scientist. And he has tampered with John in ways that he thinks um, are advantageous, at least to him. He's kind of a malign presence. So that was the science fiction element. And it's what I think science fiction can be really effective when there's one element planted in an ordinary you know, contemporary society and the characters. Um, so that's, that's the science fiction element there. I'm hesitating to call it Frankenstein-like because it's, that's kind of extreme over on analogy there. And I don't know how many of you are into Lovecraft. The very, uh, I, a lot of this is kind of they touch on a lot on the Dunwich Horror. I don't know how many are you, of you are into Lovecraft or have read that. I have not. I read Lovecraft, Lovecraft when I was in uh, high school. We had a book mm -hmm. uh, at the Mountains of Madness. and But the language just got in the way. I mean, I 
kind of get the idea that there were a lot of people in the early days of science fiction who thought he was just, you know, and some of his imagery was very evocative, but the, the language that he wrote in was just so flowery and ornate that it just bugged me. I mean, I couldn't get to it, couldn't get into it. Too well, Maybe now, maybe if I tried it now, but still, it left a bad impression on me at the time. Let me point out something. If anyone here is really interested in Lovecraft, there is a book that I downloaded from um, from from Open Library. Um, it is one of the books. Remember that uh, link to a list I sent you at Goodreads of mm-hmm. books rated over four point five. It is one of the list books on that list, but I downloaded it from Open Library. And it's called The Fiction by H.P. Lovecraft. And it contains um, the entirety of his fictional works, all of it. He also wrote some nonfiction that is not in there. But if you're interested in that, in Lovecraft, though, there you are, have it all in one volume. Mm. Rather large volume. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was pretty long. Yeah, I just couldn't uh, get into it, at least not at the time. Uh, the, the language. Well, well, the thing is, remember, if you read classics, things like from the 19th century, all of the, well, the supposedly really good writing was mm-hmm. very, very flowery. Mm-hmm. And I think the person who has the reputation um, for breaking that tradition was... Um, was um oh good grief his name escapes me right now but you know wrote for whom the bell tolls Hemingway. yeah Hemingway yeah. Hemingway he has a reputation for breaking that tradition and writing in short you know oh sentences that get to the point and before him flowery writing was considered the best writing if it wasn't flowery it was considered well just pulpish type writing low class type. Oh, okay. And I think uh, Lovecraft kind of held over from that tradition of flowery writing, but it is not nearly as flowery as some of those classics from the 19th century, though. Oh, my. Mm. Well, maybe I'll have to give him another try, because I know he has a tremendous reputation you know, in the early days, you know, creating horror especially, but... Some of his work was, you know, aliens, you know, he was very, you know, he had some... Right. I tell you something that bothers me. You read that the fiction, which is his entire work of fiction, and through and through it, I'm sorry, but that H.P. Lovecraft was a terrible, terrible racist. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was a racist yeah. and a xenophobe. <laughs> To remind you all, we do have nine members uh, on the call today. We and, sure do. And, you know, like it's 930. So. I can go to mine fast. Because <laughs> I didn't like mine that much. I guess I'll go ahead and jump Yeah, in. go ahead and zip I'll, it through if you want. Watch this. Actually, we've got ten, ten people are here. Somebody else joined us. So. The first one is a big ship at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the universe. The Salvagers Book One. It's DB nine one seven six six. Alex White. Um, the problem with it was I wasn't sure if it was science fiction. They were running around in spaceships trying to solve um, a mystery as to why this intergal- interplanetary race car sort of driver was attacked during one of her races. Uh, these people, many of these people on the ship were mercenary soldiers and they kept talking about magic except one of the main characters is born without the organ in her brain that allows her to do magic. It was, I don't know what to call that except maybe techno fantasy and I don't know what else to say about it except it didn't quite fit. Um, I also read A People's Future of the United States. It's a short story collection, DB93997, and it seemed to be very political. It was it was all these stories written by either writers of color or LGBTQ writers, and I wasn't sure if it wasn't pushing an agenda. One story, for instance, had the president, and you get the impression it's the current president they're, they're talking about, how he wakes up one day and all of his 
all of his um, Secret Service are either um, African American or Native American. In other words, they, they, they do. <laughs> love it. I know they get something. With yeah, but if, even better, it would be if they were the, if they were mestizos. I picked that up, but uh, maybe I'll drop it. But anyway, <laughs> I just pick it up to check it, I, to check out that book, but I haven't got to it yet. I'd love to hear um, what you think, and come to find out they do some sort of experiment in the future where people's genes revert back. Um, I didn't quite understand it. They reverted back to maybe what most of their ancestors originally were, so that America became run by Native Americans. It was sort of an interesting book, very much of its time. Another story was of an older man with his his medical robot nurse were going into a cafe, and they um they see a, a biracial family and the robot gets angry he's prejudiced until the little girl tells him he doesn't even know what she really is and the robot sort of has a meltdown it, it was a it was a trippy book and I, I i didn't quite like i said i didn't quite understand it well but in, it's very much of its time these writers seem to be ones who have won different awards nebulas and different things and i would very very much be interested um, Evan, if you do take a peek at it, what you think, if it's propagandistic or if it's very much relevant of its time, I couldn't decide. Mm. What is the title, David? I missed the title of that book, the political one. That one was called, wait, let me get it. A People's you. Future of the United States. People's Future of the United States. Thank you. Isn't that right? Right. DB93997. Well, Lissy or JR or Marshall? I'm done. Who wants to go next? Or Alan. Or Alan. Or Alan, yeah. Yeah, Alan. Alan. I'll jump in. Let me jump in. I'll, I'll be fast. I have to apologize. I read the Goodreads uh, list last year and was kept, they had several good books that caught my attention. And of course, anything they label science fiction nowadays. I don't really think it's science fiction. I think it's more fantasy. And the thing that that they picked as their winner in that category or whatever they're calling science fiction slash fantasy was a book by V.E. Schwab called Vengeful. And I thought, okay, well, that it says it's a sequel. So I'm going to read the first book in her series. It's called Vicious. And I thought it, it, it sounds interesting. I was always – you know, back when I could see, I was a big fan of the X-Men movies. I used to read the X-Men comic books and stuff. And, and this story and this vicious is about these guys in college and they decide, they start experimenting. Uh, they, they come up with this thesis about what are called EOs or extraordinary people. They're called mutants in the, in the X-Men world, but they're called EOs in, in, in this world people that have special powers, whether they're born with them or whether they're made somehow. And these guys figure out that if you have like a near death experience with an overload of uh, adrenaline that accompanies it, then there's a good chance you might be turned into one of these extraordinaries. Well, the downside is the people that have these experiences and end up with these powers, something's, I think kind of missing, uh, you know, I, I haven't quite finished the book. I've got like, it's like a nine hour book. I've read like six and a half hours. Of it. it It's the writing is decent. The story's good. The characters are pretty good. And some of them have some real interesting powers that, you know, the main guy that ends up being the villain and his name's Eli. He's the one, he's the one that comes up with this premise. Uh, okay. And so, uh, his power is he has this uh, unbelievable healing power. So if anything happens to him, he can heal just in a matter of seconds. Uh, his friend, Victor, I think is really more of the good. I mean, they've, they're all kind of bent after they go through this experience. Uh, Victor is able to administer pain and also to kind of take away pain. I, I think he can do it some kind of do it with electricity somehow. I'm a little, I'm a little bit fuzzy on him. But they come across another girl. She's like twelve. She can raise people from the dead, so she's got, she's got a real power. Uh, uh, and and her sister, who also had a near death experience, is able. It, it's kind of like one of those guys with the Jedi mind tricks in Star Wars. They, they can tell you stuff to do, and you and you kind of like can't resist what 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 they tell you to do. 
So those are the, the main people I've come across with these powers. But the, the main guy, Eli, who's bad, he's, he's taking it upon himself. He's kind of religious fanatic. He's decided that all these EO people are, need to be destroyed because, you know, they're, they're bent somehow. And, and so he, he goes around and starts killing them all. So that's, you know, that, that's where I've gotten to. And, and they're, they're coming to a head between Victor and Eli. So I don't know what's going to happen, but that's that. So thanks for listening. JR, your audio is not working. Oh. Um, Marshall, do you have. It's uh, working. Now it is. Okay. <laughs> You're here. You made it. Well, it was. Yeah, I was working on some writing of some code, and you know how that happens. Yeah. So, did you. Do you have a book? I do. I found a very interesting one. I don't know who else is a, a massive Kindle reader besides me. Um, I was out digging around on Amazon, and I found an omnibus. Powell Anderson, everybody will remember Operation Chaos, uh, which was withdrawn by NLS, read by Ed Calais, which I just love hmm. the book. And... Uh, I keep arm-twisting various people at NLS, and it has not yet seen the light of day, but I'm still hopeful. Anyway, the omnibus contained both books, Operation Chaos and Operation Luna, and they take place along the same timeline and with the same characters, but they're like, what, ten, I think it's 10 years apart in time. And... Of course, anybody who read Operation Chaos, they the, the interesting quote from the beginning of the book, it says, um, we're able to do with ease what you people will never be able to do, and you do with ease what we can never attempt, or something to that effect. And uh, they, the, the timeline universe, part of the multiverse that they live in, they can do magical-related things. And, uh, but they're very, you know, scientific and, and they, Operation Chaos starts out in World War II. And at the end of World War II, uh, the two main characters obviously link up and go off and, and do their thing and, uh, become family and, and have a child. And, uh, due to various things in the story, they wind up, having a battle with the forces of hell. And so they, uh, a number of folks within the company that Steve works for um, get together and they uh, do, do some spelling things, but they also do a lot of scientifically related things to help them get it across the universe time stream and wind up in the uh, the hell universe, if you will. And along the way, they invoke a spell and bring in to uh, uh, because of the mathematics they have to overcome of the geometry changes between universes and so forth. They get uh, Lobachevsky, mathematician who anybody who's into mathematics will know who he is, and uh, Janos Bolyoy and Lobachevsky, because he was made a saint, can't participate in the in the excursion. He can go along as a recorder, but he can't participate. And the and Bolyoy, who winds up being dropped into um, Steve's wife uh, Jenny's uh, cat, huh? Because he's a oh, familiar. Uh... <laughs> yeah, kind of like you know uh, a little. Um, oh, what's her face that did the cat who walks through walls? Anyway, uh, was it? she, he, uh, he can actually participate because he was not sainthooded during his life, if you will, and he is the one who gives them guidance and does all of the, you know, can can do all of the geometric stuff, and of course they go off and they defeat all the forces and so on and so forth. Uh, but in the second book, they are actually trying to 
deal with their version of the space program and they want to do a, a lunar expedition and various forces from the previous book are trying to prov- also prevent them from doing that uh, because various demonic forces have come through from the other uh, time stream and have parked themselves on the moon. And so they're doing everything they can to, to prevent these guys from being able to launch or go to the moon. And it was quite an interesting book. Um, I, I started chasing that down because I read Tau Zero, which I really didn't care for. And a couple of other books by Pal Anderson, which I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I have not read his, I think it's, what is it? Time patrol or something where, uh, that was yeah. supposed to be pretty good. Um, so I acquired that, that omnibus and, and quite enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm glad that I was able to find it because I, I, the book is, well, that I was able to find was no longer in print or anything else for that matter, uh, for Operation Chaos. And mm. I'm in hopes that either A, they will restore the Ed Calais version of uh, Operation Chaos and maybe do Operation Luna, or that they might, that. well, or that they <laughs> might take the uh, omnibus and actually record it because both of the books are there. Yeah. But depend on who they chose to be the reader, uh, I, I might not like. I right. just picked up one of the uh, uh, Touched by an Alien books, and, and the library had done all of them but the last two. And they got, uh, what's her name? Mayor or somebody or another. Mayor Trevor. Oh, mm-hmm. Who I just absolutely cannot stand as a reader. Mm. Um, Are those Jeannie Koch? Those books. Yeah, the the Ginny Koch books. I got sick of them after book three. She she just it went on too long. Well, it's it's like every book. It's kind of like the Wheel of Time. You know, I felt like I'd been wheeled over and run over before I got very far into that series. I got confused. It got complicated. Wow. My my brother just loved them all, so I I don't know. And and I told my my wife asked, how come you read those books? And I said, mostly because I think I, I just like her because she's willing to go kick butt and take names later. I liked her at first two cats or whatever her name was. Oh, kitty cat martini. Yeah. Her. yeah. I know she is like, she's like the tough girl, but um, you know, I'm like, I'm glad that the, uh, the book 16, they actually did Oof. went back to Kristen Allison, who I think is a far better reader. Mm-hmm. Mm, well, uh, we might have to. Um, I might. I might dog argue with you about that. But um, oh, but compared page, to one my, she just drives me crazy. One of my biggest disappointments was that they got her to read the Void trilogy, Peter Hamilton's Void trilogy, which I would have preferred anybody else. But anyway, we shouldn't badmouth the narrators on here. Probably, um, <laughs> probably because, uh, yeah. who knows who's listening? Um, I mean. Uh, Lizzie, uh, did you uh, have a Liz? Yeah, Liz. Sorry, um, actually, um, <laughs> they're probably books that you've already read. But um, Octavia Butler is one of my favorite author authors. Kindred. Are you familiar with her? Kindred. Oh yes. Okay, Kindred was one of them that was recently read, and I loved it. Uh, but the, my, I think my two favorite by her are uh, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Um, are you familiar with that? I won't talk long if you are, because they're older books. I've read some of that. I don't think I've read them all, but okay. they're both of them. It's, but, it's I don't know about other people, of course. You know. Yeah. Um, apocalyptic. It, it is apocalyptic, yeah. okay. It's it's a... Um, Essentially, there's been a, you know, uh, with, with climate change and economic breakdown because of climate change and the droughts, and um, it's a situation where those who have the ability to do so live in walled communities because those, the poor people are kind of like drug-addled and crazy, and, and um, the story follows um, Lauren Galerio, um, who has, she's a... Um, 
hyper empath. Um, so she feels her own pain, but she feels the pain of others too. And she has this earth seed religion that she creates. And the, the two books follow their journey when they have to leave their safe walled community and they journey up the West coast basically and end up somewhere. I think it's in Washington state and some privately owned land where they establish kind of an earth seed community. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's just a really nice, I, I, I enjoy this kind of book because it, so many times in these apocalyptic books, I think that there's really, uh, you know, there, there isn't, it's all about survival. And this, this was like survival, but also trying to change and, and make it a better place to live. And um, so I, I just, that's what I wanted to talk about is just love Octavia Butler. Books. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that stuff where, um, I um, think like Frederick Pohl's gem, which we did, you know, mm-hmm. some time ago, we've wrecked this planet. So let's go get another one. And, but, but right. people haven't changed at all. I mean, when they get there, they're brutalizing the aliens. And, right. Man, I just can't really, really don't know what right. they're thinking. Um, yeah. How are you going to do any better on another planet? If you don't change your basic psyche in some way, which caused the problem right. on the first one. Exactly. Uh, anyway, I could go on about that. Uh, that's what I really liked about these books. There was at least an attempt to organize a community of like-minded people who still believed that it was possible to create a, a positive space and to make change and such. So, I mean, they certainly have a lot of um, poor Marshall. Troubles. He left us he utterly oh. tired of apocalypticals, and I was hoping to get him in before. Because uh, I know he's he's said more than once that he's just had it with a but he left. Um, I'm going to save mine for next month because it's already after uh, ten o'clock here, and I think people are starting to leave. So, um, is there anyone we missed that's still here that hasn't got a chance to talk about their book yet? If not, I'll close up for today because. Oh, David's gone. Yeah, people are going. So I'm just going to say that <laughs> yeah. the next meeting is going to be on Thursday, May the 9th, 2019. 